Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White, and joining me, of course, is the rookie, Chris Dashu. I don't want to book this man of the cloth. I really don't. Don't force me to do it, Mike. On this episode, we're talking about three episodes of the original Barney Miller show from season three. Episode 16, Abduction, which was directed by Bruce Bilson, and that came out February 3rd, 1977. Sex Surrogate, which was directed by Noam Pitlick, which came out February 10th, 1977. And Moonlighting, also by Noam, and that came out February 17th, 1977. We're we're going like clockwork with these episodes here. Yeah, we're flying, man. Do you notice how many people wrote the episode Sex Surrogate? I did. It's a lot. It, it took up almost the entire screen with the story by and teleplay by credits. And only one of those people shares a story by and teleplay by credit. Our boy Tony Shaheen, who yeah. has been on a lot of these. Yeah, there. I mean, I was about to say, there's a. am seeing a lot of, I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of names repeating, but he's, I mean, you know, we're... It's. It seems that the show is really just a couple people at this point, like like very like proficient at what they're doing. Because I enjoyed all three episodes yeah. for the most part. I mean, they're well written, pretty funny, um, and uh, kind of topical too. So I'm sure we'll get to it when we when we get to the topical one. But also, one of them does have a little bit of problematic thing. Each one of these made me laugh, which is more than I can say about a lot of TV shows that are still out there today. And I had a great time watching each one of these. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We start with Abduction, which the titular story, Abduction, is all about a cult. And Chris, I know you know all about cults from the 1970s. It was a big thing back then. Yeah, I mean, you know, cults, I mean, cults are a thing still. I mean, Nixium, right? That's a thing. Nexium, I guess. I mean, there are cults, but it would seem, similarly with serial killers, like the 60s and 70s were like the time for these kinds of things. Um, the, the, The cult that's actually kind of being parodied in this episode is the Source family, which they actually did a, a documentary on. Uh, a couple years ago, it's supposedly it's pretty good. It's called The Source. But yeah, this couple wants to save their daughter from a cult-run restaurant, which is exactly what The Source family was doing in L.A. So it's like, if, if you know that backstory, if you know that kind of reference point, it's very on the nose. Uh, but it's, I mean, you don't have to know that to get some... Uh, to get some enjoyment out of this episode because the main story is good. And then, you know, the side stories are pretty good too, especially the one with, uh, you know, just fish being a dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's just a dick. Like, yeah. Yeah. He does not want Bernice to work. Why would you want to go to work? Bernice? Yeah. You're a woman. Why would you want to work? Yeah. You you have nothing to offer. I particularly enjoyed, uh, Yamana's story of him, winning all of these bets and that he's going and i love how he like explains how he won this won this and he took all these winnings and they put it on this and he what did he win like 160 dollars <laughs> yeah it's like a hundred it's like 116 bucks taking them all out to lunch yeah yeah it was so <laughs> nice of nick to want to take them all out to lunch and he's so happy that he won all these games yeah and then you have harris who wrote a story and a uh 
It was. It reminded me a lot of. Um, I know the, our, our. You know anyone who's listening to the show that was listening to Kolchak. I'm going to bring up X Files. Reminds me a lot of the musings. The the musings of the cigarette smoking man episode. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where he no. he essentially he's like going to quit and like be done with the X Files. Cigarette smoking man, the main villain of the show. And he writes us. He he wants to be a writer, and he writes a story and submits it. But he doesn't know that it's going into Romana Clef, which is a you know in that universe, it's like a dirty mag, like in this like in this episode. So it just reminded me of that because it's like I wrote a story in that one. He's like, I didn't realize it was a dirty mag. In this one, Harris is like, Yeah, it's a dirty mag. I don't care. <laughs> I just found those like two reactions to be very funny given like that's kind of the other point of reference for this story. I've seen it before is kind of what I'm getting at. So it's funny though. It was very funny. And this, he was so mad that they changed the story. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, he's not mad of where it's published. He's just mad that they changed it. I was very happy that David Clement Clennon shows up as Buda Vista, the leader of the cult, most people that are listening to this, I hope, know him from John Carpenter's The Thing, where he is the one that gives the immortal line of, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he, doesn't he, he plays the character that gets, um, is he the one that gets bitten on the head? Or is he the uh, one that flies into the ceiling? He flies into the ceiling. He's the yeah, guy on the he's, chair. He's the guy on the chair, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and pew! Yeah, hits the ceiling. Yep, 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 yep. That's what I thought. He looks very different in this, obviously. This is, like, not clean-shaven in this. Well, yeah. I love when he comes in, he looks just like Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot of good jokes around that. Yeah, I didn't know. I I thought that maybe I had interviewed him because I tried to interview a lot of people from the thing, and I didn't. And then I was looking him up, and now he is writing for – like a left-wing publication where he's just like, it's very, very political, skewed more towards my likings, but I was just like, oh, interesting. He's very active politically now. I was like, all right, cool. In fact, there was something where it was just like, he is now trying to bring to the uh, Emmy's attention uh, all of the omissions from Ken Burns's Vietnam documentary. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> he apparently was... Uh he turned in his selective service identification card, which is a federal felony, when he was asked to go to Vietnam, and he joined the draft resistance movement, which is fine by me. Cool, man. Cool. That's that's awesome. I mean, yeah. that's good. I mean, look, it's good that he was on a show that has Max Gale, another good man, so mm-hmm. you know, I'll take it. I'll take it. I did not recognize the people that played uh, Barbara Lynn Wheaton's parents. I think Vivi Janice, the mother, I think I've seen her maybe in a couple things, but nothing where I was just like, oh, it's her. Like, usually when we're watching these, it's like, oh, I know that actor. I've right. seen that guy a thousand times before. Especially we'll talk about in the next episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and we'll talk about one character, I think, from the third episode, who we have seen before and who's going to start coming back in a very regular way. So, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I really – I thought this was a very solid episode. I thought the way that they tied all these stories, the whole thing of Bernice, you know, seeing the cult leader – Bernice talking about, you know, working at the restaurant, uh, Bernice, 
uh, interacting with Harris around the magazine that, you know, she's like, oh, you should still be very proud of yourself. How many people can say that they've been published in a magazine? I thought that she's barely in it, but she interacts with all of these stories. I was really happy with the way that they brought her in. So this is the fourth time she's been on the show. There's two more appearances. And do you know what happened two nights after this? No. That's when Fish premiered. Really? Yeah. So two nights, February 5th, 1977, is the night that Fish premiered. So they so, were running in tandem. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's it's kind of strange because I, I found that out by reading a review here on IMDb, and I didn't realize it either because that would be that strikes me as odd. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, again, in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, well... Why wouldn't they do that? Because I don't assume that Fish opens with Fish retired. Maybe right. that's maybe that's factored into the plot. Uh, I mean, we haven't gotten there yet, but I mean, I guess maybe we should at some point soon, given hmm. that this is. I mean, given that this is when you know this is kind of the deflection point here for the show, because Fish. I mean, if Fish starts to you know two nights after this. I mean, we're we're right here at at the moment when Fish becomes Fish becomes his own character for whatever damn reason. Well, that's interesting because I'm I'm trying to think of other shows because we've talked about spinoffs a lot so far. Just trying to like lead up to this Fish show, and we've talked about Joni loves Chachi, and you know, yeah, I think even a different world was a spinoff of Cosby, and it's like I'm trying to think of other shows where. There was the main show happening and the spinoff and the character was on both because normally it is a much more of a clean break where it's like, okay, Joni loves Chachi is starting. Joni is not also, cause she was living with the Cunninghams and then Joni loves Chachi. She's living with Chachi. So it's like, you couldn't really have both. So I'm trying to think if they're, I'm sure it'll come to me like five minutes after we're done recording where it's like, oh yeah, of course there was this, but it, it strikes me as very odd that Barty Miller and Fish are running concurrently, but it kind of makes sense to me just because of how we've talked about the uh, bringing in those obnoxious kid characters and that we've already seen them if they've been introduced. So now if we move into Fish at this time, those characters are already established in the universe. Yeah. The Barney Millerverse. Mm. Yeah, the Millerverse. <laughs> So the the story here, and I just checked on Wikipedia to confirm it is February 5th, 1977. So it is two nights after this. So it wasn't like an eight o'clock and then an 830. No, it was a two. It was two nights later. So what happened was Danny Arnold didn't want to spin off the show because he didn't like the idea of Fish having his own character. And then Danny Arnold said, "Okay, I'll I'll spin you off if you continue to be on Barney Miller and Abe Vigoda said, no, I'm quitting Barney Miller, and I want Fish to be its own thing because I want to be the lead. Huh. And so they said, okay. Uh, so Abe Vigoda essentially fired himself from Barney Miller. Fish was not a success. Fish ran for, what, two seasons? Yep. And that's that. So sounds like, I mean, you know, uh, Otto Bruno, when he was on here a couple episodes ago, he mentioned that Abe Vigoda was kind of a, you know, kind of a pain in the ass to work with. And he got a, his big head, um, and he kind of got a little full of himself. And then it's kind of, you know, hey, I mean, look, I can't blame the guy, frankly, because 
if someone says, hey, do you want to be the star of your own show? I, I would have been like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that it wasn't successful, but yeah, Fish and Barney Miller were running at the same time. So two Barney Miller shows on at once. All right. Okay, sure. I will tell you, though, looking at this episode, I'm not sure I would go and watch Fish after watching this episode because this is not a good Fish episode. This is a Fish acting like a real dickhead episode. Right. This is more of a Bernice episode. Yeah. And I'm not sure about yourself, but, like, would you have wanted to watch Fish? I don't I don't know. I mean, I like Abe Vigoda so much, his reactions and all that stuff. Yeah. And I understand your objections with the way that he is very, very grouchy. But, I mean, this is also the era of Archie Bunker, where you've got these non-likable characters, but he is likable most of the time. Yeah, I was more just commenting on the fact like he's not very funny in this episode. No, like, if you no, had just not. if you were watching this and like, oh, there's another show going to be on about this character, I'm like, nah. And clearly, I'm not alone in that because the show ran for two seasons. So right, but yeah, I love him on the on Barney Miller. I mean, he's my favorite part about Barney Miller. We've said this like multiple times now. So, well, let's move over to Sex Circuit, which, like I said, aired February 10th, 1977. And this one, talking about familiar faces, so many familiar oh, yeah. faces in this one. Uh, Doris Roberts in here, Billy Barty's in here. Uh, but for me, the one who is driving me crazy was Marilyn Sokol, who plays the titular sex surrogate. And I could not place her. And then finally, I realized. Oh, she's Valerie Perrine's neighbor slash best friend from Can't Stop the Music, where she is this, ironically enough, total horn dog in that. I mean, she is lusting after all of the village people and Bruce Jenner. It's so weird for me to say that. And Steve Gutenberg. I guess that's even weirder for me to say. But yeah, she is the sex surrogate. And man, oh man, the Wojo does not know how to make that out <laughs> does not know what a sex surrogate is i say it sounds like marilyn sokol's character in can't stop the music is going to be really disappointed oh yeah she she <clears throat> lives to be disappointed but yeah. in here it's funny because like i said she's sex crazed and can't stop the music here she works not necessarily in the sex industry more in the uh you know psychology right. industry um and she's so professional in this and just is like you know completely you know, will not be uh, uh she will not, as a prostitute and she won't ever take the bait as far as like boy just trying to bait her with a lot of stuff no i mean look sex uh, sex surrogates are a real thing like it's a thing it's a helpful thing it's funny to see a show in this time and place taking a stab at that because i mean it is i I mean where the show comes at it from is it's new agey right Mm -hmm. like it's that's kind of what the show is kind of poking fun at is like the new ageiness and like oh is it prostitution like cirque surrogates are are a great thing and I, i i like that the show is broaching the topic here that it is not doing it um in a way that feels exploitative. I mean, the show doesn't have a track record of poor addressing of certain topics. For the most part, the show does a pretty good job, I think. I mean, the gay characters are not treated too poorly, at least comparatively to other shows of the time. 
Um, I mean, you have you have African American characters as leads. You had Hispanic char- you have Hispanic characters as leads. Asian American actors as leads. The show is operating. You know, I, I know our audience sometimes probably thinks that I'm completely a millennial, which is fine. I don't give a shit. But it's woke. This show is pretty woke for the time and place that it came out. I mean, come on. I mean, so were a lot of shows. I mean, a yeah. lot of shows were and. The the stuff that they I mean we're gonna be talking about an episode with a, a you know a character who is as the show says slow um, in the next episode and this one is talking about sex surrogacy and it's really good yeah yeah I really liked it and you know eventually the problem that uh, Mr Kaufman has is solved I guess he gets very turned on by having Doris Roberts in jail um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean who wouldn't <laughs> right <laughs> and I thought we were going to get really lucky with this one because Levitt comes in right at the beginning of the episode and announces that he's uh. retired or he's quitting because he's tired of waiting for that promotion and uh, that obviously comes into play quite a bit Levitt and his whole short guy thing when he gets to meet Billy Birdie I was very happy with that by Billy Birdie giving him a little bit of perspective yeah so I make the noise of uh Levitt but Levitt's actually not terrible in this episode no no like the like the whole interaction between him and Billy Birdie is pretty good Billy Bar I mean Billy Birdie's great uh I know Billy Birdie from one thing, uh, uh, you probably know him from a lot more stuff, but the thing I know him from is UHF. So, <laughs> <laughs> oopsie, did someone fall <laughs> down? down? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Billy Barney is great in that. I also noticed, I don't know, you've seen the movie Mr. Deeds, right? Yes. Did you ever notice they randomly name drop Billy Barney's name in that movie? No. So Winona Ryder in that movie is, she's on the phone with Adam Sandler, and she's like, I'm back in my hometown, and uh, there's this tree and oh little Billy Barty is here and it's like what? That's so strange. Yeah, like well given that I I never put two and two together until like recently, but it's just like very strange. But man, huh. just having Billy Barty in this show is super cool. Yeah, and him going don't call me a midget over and over again. Yeah, yeah, which. I mean, I have some friends that still refer to little people as midgets, and it's like, no, you don't do that. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't, because it's Harris is interacting with him, and I'm surprised he didn't say, like, calling me that is like calling you the N-word kind of right, thing, because right, that's right. kind of the equivalent. And right. Yeah, I mean... Even, I, I mean, is, are midget, midget and dwarf, I think, are both... I guess yeah, dwarf is dwarf a. It's not preferred, definitely. Because I know dwarfism is the term, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, but yeah, midget is really not a good word for. How about we just call people. people by their names? Isn't that yeah. easier? Then we don't have to worry about a lot of problems that arise. Just call people by their names. That's not hard. No, no, it's pretty easy. But yeah, I'm, I am kind of surprised the show could have gone that way. It would have been, I mean, it would have been interesting to see Billy Barty say that to Ron Glass's character, but I, I wouldn't have been out of place in this show. Right. Yeah, no, not at all. And Doris Roberts is good. Speaking of guests, Doris Roberts is great, right? She's always great. She is always great. I always like her and stuff. I, her, the guy that plays her husband, Eugene Elman, I 
didn't really recognize him. He's got a long filmography, well, 26 credits, uh, including the ill-fated Michael Richards show. And that's Michael Richards, not Mike Richards, the new controversial host of Jeopardy. (laughs) The new controversial host of Jeopardy is a term no one should be using for anything. (laughs) Also, I have heard that Michael Richards is a huge fan of casual racism. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking. Remember when he was at that club and he's like, it's a midget. It's a midget. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's horrible. God. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. 50 years ago. Oh, my God. I'm not even going to say it. It's just so fucking bad. I can't. I mean, look, speaking of spinoff shows, the fact that there was ever a Michael Richards show. Woof. Woof, woof, woof. I went to, sorry to take us so off track, but years ago I was in Las Vegas and they've got this uh, thing that you go to where you can watch pilots. You're aware what, what TV pilots are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kidding. I'm making a Pulp Fiction reference. Um, oh, my. Wait a second. <laughs> Whoa, man. Why would you do that? But the timeline we, just diverged there, dude. That's The timeline's going way up now. We, uh, yeah, you got to. You gotta, uh, Come and prune uh, it. Prune it, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we went and saw a pilot for a TV show, which I think actually got made. And like was on the air for a little bit but it was uh uh god i can't even remember the uh, jason alexander and malcolm jamal warner and it was those two in this uh comedy show together and i was just like okay uh i don't think this is good as succeed guys and you know how much we're talking about that show right now so everybody it's on everybody's lips remember that show with malcolm jamal warner and jason alexander Remember, I mean, look, we, we've talked about this before. I mean, even with this show, right? Um, you are lucky if you are an actor to ever be on something like this. Because th- like, this is, for a lot of actors, being a series regular on a show that runs for, like, you know, as many seasons as this show ended up running, which is, what, eight seasons? Yeah. Uh, I mean, good God in heaven, you never have to work again. Um, and sometimes some of those actors shouldn't. I mean, dun 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 dun, dun ching. I mean, Jason Alexander and Michael Richards have effectively done nothing since Seinfeld. But like, that's okay, right? Like, yeah, you know, Julie Louis Dreyfus has done a lot. Jerry Seinfeld hasn't. You know, I mean, I'm not sure. I'd, I mean, I'm not sure. You know, I, look, Hal Linden's still working, which no. I, I I find to be admirable beyond belief. But like, sometimes you're just like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to cash my syndication check every month and well, fuck it. I don't care. I mean, holy shit. Barney Miller has been syndicated since like 82. <laughs> Seinfeld's been syndicated since it went off the air. Like you have a paycheck for the rest of your life. I mean, Dor- I mean Doris Roberts would end up finding that out all yeah. the way back to this episode. I mean, Doris Roberts ends up being on a show where she was cashing checks every month until she passed away for that show being in syndication. I mean, that's that's pretty good. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, you sometimes can't uh, can't jump out of the box of the show that you were in before. Michael Richards, Jason Alexander, Matt LeBlanc. I mean, David Schwimmer never went on to be in any other TV show of value until that uh, card when he played what Robert Kardashian. So right. like, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're you know, you're lucky to hit to get lightning in a bottle one time. 
Because most, I mean, most actors never get that. So just for completeness out there, the name of that show was Listen Up. Tiny, uh, tiny, tiny, this doesn't make any sense. Tiny O-shaped Tony Kleinman. Why would they say O-shaped? That's weird. Because it's short and fat? I guess so. Is that Jason Alexander's character? Uh, let's see. Uh, yes. Tiny Tony Kleinman. Yes. And his mate. God, who wrote this? You would think that they're British. <laughs> and his mate, former professional jock Bernie Widman, that is Malcolm Jamal Warner, still a popular womanizer, co-present a TV talk show in Philadelphia, mainly devoted to sports and athletes of all disciplines. Tony compensates his size by a big mouth, often cleverly phrasing, but alas, almost as often too quickly yapping as all too often, Jesus oh. Christ, who wrote this? <laughs> this is written by someone. Oh my God. This is written by someone whose grasp of the English language would would lead me to believe that is not their first language. <laughs> yeah, no, they definitely, they, they wrote, um, this is K, oh, sorry, KGF Vissers is Let's the, say South African, maybe? Dutch? Well, Verboten Liebe is uh, one of the things that they've written about. Uh, yeah, I'm looking see. at some of their other stuff. They are probably uh, speak German or Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Who's a tiny O-shaped man, Jason tiny. Alexander. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and all too often, he does this all too often. All the yapping. Yes. Uh, so What I is guess... all with the yapping now? <laughs> so is it a show about a radio show? I think it's a TV show, even though it's called Listen Up. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 2004 to 2005 was kind of a wasteland in television. <laughs> so, I mean, the mid-2000s were not seen as the, you know, pinnacle of TV. So, mm-hmm. Eugene Elman, the guy who got us on this little tangent here, uh, he does come back twice more on Barney Miller. So, he will be back in 78 two more times and the episodes evaluation and the accusation. And I'm assuming Doris Roberts never comes back. You know, I don't know if she does or not. That'd be kind of funny, but I, it's just, she's so recognizable, right? Yes, like, she is. And, and I, I mean, look, I love, I, I, you know, again, this is going to show where I'm coming from. I love grandma's boy. That movie's hilarious. I know it's not the best movie, but She's great in that. She's, I mean, obviously, every she's everybody loves Raymond. She's great in that. So, I mean, Doris Roberts is great. It's just funny to see her on this show before she ends up getting a show of her own, essentially. So, she does come back and uh, on Barney Miller, and she comes back interestingly enough as the same character. She comes That's back. That's wild. To, uh, well, she's credited for just credit only for a part two of an episode called Wojo's Girl, but she's in part one of Wojo's Girl. She's in an episode called The Sighting and one called Agent Orange. She plays the character Harriet Brower in all of those. Wow. So she comes back as a different character, but the same character. Different character. Well, yeah, she's not Louise Kaufman anymore. But but she's the same character in all those episodes. Yes, yes. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. I got Interesting. Huh. Well, good. I mean, yeah. again, I love character actors and, you know, she's, I mean, she's up there for like television character actors. She is 
she's one of the I mean she's one of the great ones so yeah I was just looking up Billy Barty too and I mean he basically was you know I mean he's been around or was around for so many decades but just looking at the stuff that he did in the 70s and 80s and 90s I mean the time when I was watching TV holy cow I mean oh yeah Dr. Shrinker and Under the Rainbow. I mean, just so many things that I've seen too many times. I mean, again, he's in UHF. That's kind of my point of reference. And he's, I mean, he's one of the more memorable parts of that movie. So, And he's Damn great straight. in this episode. So. Yeah, no, very, very solid episode. And let's wrap it up with another solid episode, which is Moonlighting, where we've got Harris trying to burn the midnight oil because, you know, all those threads, man, they cost some good money. That's right. That's right, and he's a uh, he's a captain at his yes. job. <laughs> right. He's a captain, and yeah, uh, the he's he's very very tired. So I love when people say captain. Now he responds to it. Yeah. So this episode has kind of an interesting thing. It has a, 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 a I don't know what's the correct term. Uh, usually these days. Uh, developmentally delayed is what my wife says. Okay. It has a developmentally delayed character in it. Yeah. Uh, and they do say retard at one point, which is, oh, yeah. uh, again, it's not offensive in the sense that that was a term that was being used at the time. It's just viewed through the lens of 2021. We wouldn't say that, but right. um, well, isn't they weren't the attempting to offend. Isn't it the bad guy that uses that term? What? Is it, is it uh, Del no. Mitchell? The, the, no, but no? Hal Linden says it. He says it? He, Hal Linden says, is he, he says retarded? Question mark? Oh, okay. Yeah. Retarded to me is so different than retard. Right. Yeah, okay, because you can be retarded, but if you call someone a retard, that's such an yeah, insult. Yeah, that's okay. fair. That's fair. All right. I, I thought that maybe the guy who put him in this life of crime accidentally or, you know, put him on this path. I thought he was just like, yeah, that retard. No, he, he essentially implies as much the, as they say in always sunny, it's the implication. Yeah. He goes like, who's going to believe him? Someone like him is what he says. Right. 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 Yeah. I'm pretty sure Wojo calls him slow at one point. I do like the relationship between Wojo and this guy. I thought that was really good. Yeah, so it's interesting. So this character is being, you know, used by the um, Cal Gibson character to, I guess, take money? Yeah, it sounded like, almost like running numbers or something. But yeah, he was a bag man, basically. Unbeknownst to him, because again, developmentally delayed. So, you know, you have them, he's brought in, and, you know, Wojo has to deal with him. And it's pretty obvious almost immediately when this character comes into the precinct, you're like, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you have the, oh, is, you know, like we said, Hal Linden says, oh, is he retarded? And then you have Max Gale going out there doing like, I, it's like, oh, he's not deaf, dude. Even, I mean, he, Hal Linden's even like, he's not deaf, Wojo. It's like, right. right. Um, I thought it was, I mean, again, this show navigates these sensitive topics pretty well, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and I think that the guy that played him, John Stuart Schwartz, was fantastic. I felt yes. for him so much from like the first words out of his mouth. I was like, wow, he's doing a really good job because, as we know, never go full retard, because some people, man, it is just laughable. I mean, some of the worst performances, 
Rosie O'Donnell and the other sister, Giovanni Ribisi and uh, Jennifer Sean Penn. Lewis, Sean Penn. I mean, you can go too far and just whoa. But then you can do a good one like uh, the Bill films with uh, Mickey Rooney. You know, it's just like, okay, yeah, that, that's pretty good. But man, if you go too far, whoa, look out. And I think that he plays it just right he's he's like right up there with like larry drake in la law as benny you know he's like right there as far as like very sympathetic developmentally delayed person yeah i would agree i mean it's again like you said you can go too far and i mean you can go too far with any role uh you know anytime you take on a role like this first off i have to applaud any actor who's willing to take on a role like this because immediate lightning rod immediately you've put a target on yourself but you've also taken it upon yourself to hopefully do the community that you're portraying justice in some form or fashion and yeah like you said there are a lot of actors who i'm not sure what they're taking away from talking to people who are developmentally delayed being around them reading about it i wonder what they're taking away from it when it is so kind of goes from parody to almost like unintentional satire. Uh-huh. And it's like, what did you take away? I don't know what you saw, but I mean, with similarly with yourself, I'm sure my school that I went to, I was around, you know, not a lot, but there were a fair amount of kids in my grade. I mean, I was in school with like 1,200 kids. So I you know, went to school with a couple, you know, handful of kids who were developmentally delayed. And I saw the way that they were, and then you go and watch movies and stuff where they're trying to be respectful. And it's like, I don't know what the fuck you even are thinking. Uh-huh. It's just, it's not just bad. It's really bad. It was very funny. Um, John Stuart Schwartz. I have seen almost everything in his credited filmography. He is mostly known for his mime work. He is... Bust Rod in The Forbidden Zone. Have you seen The Forbidden Zone? I have, and I did a podcast on it. Forbidden Zone is a wild-ass movie. So he's Bust Rod the Frog in that. And then he uh, also is a... uh, He's playing a toy in The Incredible Shrinking Woman. I actually can picture him in my head in this. And then I went to his official website where he doesn't go by John Stuart Schwartz, which is Kind of understandable. So many people went by fake names in Forbidden Zone. Um, I need to go back and watch that Barney Miller and see what name he goes under in that. Um, But on his website, he goes by John Nathan. And he has, uh, like, by my CD. Uh, He's got clips from um, The Young and the Restless. Uh, There was a TV series called... Uh, what you should do uh, from um, the Lifetime channel. He's got his demo reel out there, and he's got a mime show out there. So he seems like a pretty interesting cat. I'm surprised I didn't try to interview him when we did uh, Forbidden Zone on the projection booth. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like... I mean, look, I think anybody who was involved with Forbidden Zone is an interesting cat. I mean, Forbidden Zone is... It's a wild movie. Uh, Very Oingo Boingo, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um... I would have to go back and rewatch it. It's not, you know, it's not really ringing a bell, but it's been a couple of years since I saw Forbidden Zone. He's great in this. I would yeah. be interested to see him in something else. Cause yeah, it's, 
it's surprising how well he does, given how kind of unassuming what he's doing is. Like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and most of his scenes are just right there at Wojo's desk. Yeah, he's, I mean, he barely even stands in this episode. He's just there, cross from Wojo, interacting with him, and then eventually with Barney. And then you have Dietrich. Dietrich shows up. Abe Vigoda's not in this episode. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that uh-huh. uh, Fish wasn't there. But yeah, definitely. Dietrich's there. And Dietrich plays into this whole uh, story that we have with uh, John Dulligan as Sylvester White. And he actually was in an earlier episode that we watched. And he will come back. Talking about Doris Roberts in the last episode, he will come back as a much more recurring character, Ray Brewer, um, as time goes on. But he was in uh, the Happy New Year episode, and he was a pickpocket in that. And then he will come back as a few other characters, and then will come back as this Ray Brewer character in 79 and be there all the way up to the end series, you know, the end show of Landmark. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty prolific television actor. I mean, he's yeah. worked on all kinds of stuff. So, huh. Including one of my favorites, BJ and the Bear. BJ and the Bear. <laughs> so. But I, I really like him in this. And yeah, he's great. And I like, too, that there's this kind of misunderstanding where he has bought stolen goods but people think that he stole it but no the person that actually stole this uh these goods is a reverend who is i guess just kind of fed up with the world great name for the actor too with the character he's playing george pentecost yes that was perfect what the hell's up with that <laughs> it's the role i was born to play yeah, this is the role of a lifetime <sighs> It's uh, it's really funny too. So I had mentioned Abe Vigoda. Abe Vigoda shows up in one more episode this season. That's it. Wow. Well, yeah. Too busy with fish. Yeah, he is in um one of the episodes we're going to talk about on the next episode, Group Home, mm. which also features Bernice as well. So her fifth of sixth appearances is coming up. All so right. I guess we're, I guess unbeknownst to us. With no fanfare, we're in an Abe Vigoda-less future. Yep. Well, how about, does he come back in Goodbye, Mr. Fish? Uh, he has to, right? That's the first two episodes of the fourth season. I would assume so. Yeah. I mean, that, but that's still only three more episodes of the show. So hopefully we're going to get a lot more Dietrich. Uh, yeah, so Phil Fish, um, Ed Vigoda is actually only in the second part of that episode. Oh, interesting. So yeah, so it and that's the episode that Bernice is in as well, or you know, uh, Florence Stanley. So I guess we're in a we're about to be in a yeah. So it goes two more. There's two more episodes that he's in, and that's it. All right. Past that, oh. so what? That's. I mean, I'm kind of, I mean, look, I just kind of without fanfare. At least they named the episode after him with Goodbye, <laughs> Mr. Fish, as opposed to Goodbye, Wentworth. Yeah. No, there was no Goodbye, Wentworth. Goodbye, Gregory Sierra. Yeah. Siachano, I think yeah. the episode <laughs> was called. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, this show would have been called Adios Chano. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I... Landsberg ingratiated himself to me the moment he has the the one liner at the end of this episode. 
know, what are you, you know, Barney asked him, what are you going to do if you get to heaven? And, uh, you know, you were, you know, denying it your entire life. Oops. <laughs> like, what do you say to the person at the pearly gates? Oops. Like, that's so great. And it's just so dry and so matter of fact. Like, oh, good. I, I love that he tries to be funny. His whole thing of like, uh, I'm going to take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. Steve Landsberg is great. He's so good. Yeah. It's just, it's. It's like Abe Vigoda, but even drier. Oh, so dry. He is the Sahara. It is fantastic. I mean, this is like, you know, I I would not be surprised if a young, uh, oh God, why am I blanking on the guy's name? Uh, Talking about comedian? Yeah. You know, I was going to say Mitch Head. I was going to say Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. But I'm thinking you're talking about the guy from Half-Baked, the guy on the couch. Yes. Um, uh, Steve? Steve, um, Steve, oh God, I can see him right now. His voice. What's that he in voice. UHF? Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, Sincerely, uh, it's like, the dude on the couch. It's like, <laughs> like Stephen Wright was taking, it was cribbing notes from Dietrich. I mean, honestly, dude, like when you say that, it almost feels like that's the case, right? It almost doesn't feel like a coincidence. Like, it is like an act for Landsberg, but, like, I haven't seen him in any other things. I assume that, like, maybe that's his... Was that just his comedy style? Stephen Wright's? Or Steve Landsberg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was just his comedy style. I guess, I mean, the only thing I've seen Steve Landsberg in other than this show is when he plays the doctor who sees Jason Siegel's dick at the beginning of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Like, and I don't remember, but yeah, Stephen Wright's act is very Landsberg-esque. Which is funny because Wright was actually doing his stuff at this time. Like, I think he was doing stand-up around this time. Oh, really? And Yeah. And get this. In 79, he gets one of his first credited roles as uh, a security officer in WKRP in Cincinnati. The episode is called Fish Story. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So, I'm curious, Mike, since we're now about to be in a fishless world. Abe Vigoda's run on the show. What do you think? I thought it was spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. I know, like, you had some issues with him and the Bernice, and yeah, he was... But again, that's 2021 lenses. Right. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, he was a little much sometimes, and their relationship has definitely changed. I mean, we remember, I think it was one of the very first episodes where he was talking about, like, going to Las Vegas and, you know, fucking around and stuff. And it was just like, whoa, where is this coming from? And just, yeah, like sometimes he's mean to her, sometimes he's not. And yeah, it just kind of vacillates. We've never really gotten a clear bead on their relationship. Yeah, we haven't. And again, I don't know what that episode where he says that she has no worth is supposed to be. I mean, again, this is a time and place of comedy where we aren't anymore. And I'm okay with that because, look, that kind of comedy just feels lazy to me. That's yeah. it. And it's not dumb or bad or, you know, not funny. It's just lazy because, like, 
making fun of your wife and stuff. Like, you're supposed to love your wife, and you should love your wife, because you're married to your wife. So why are you ragging on your damn wife? Like, I don't get it. I don't rag on my wife. I don't imagine you rag on your wife. You're probably gonna have some smart-ass answer for me. <laughs> you know? But, you know, yeah. like, I, I know, I, you know, Father Malone doesn't rag on his wife. Like, we're in a generation of people now where, like, we don't rag on our wives because we, you know chose to marry them because we love them and we enjoy being around them and you don't rag on people you want to be around. So, like, for me, that kind of comedy, like the old ball and chain thing, like, that's just so fucking lazy. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, is, like, they are tired jokes. It's like mother-in-law jokes, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't want to be around my mother and I'm like, wow. And for the mother-in-law. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have expected you to give me a smart ass answer. <laughs> I have no. expected you to interject. <laughs> no, no, that would have been too easy. So. Yeah, see, there you go. It's just, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I don't hold it against the show because, again, like you've said, at the time, that's just the way it was. You know, it, this, it's not like Barney Miller's the only show making these jokes. Right. Frankly, right. I mean, that's, that is the thing about television comedy of the time is it's kind of all on the same page. Like, it's all kind of operating in the same sphere. I mean, there are shows now that still make these kinds of jokes. And those shows need to, you know... Get the fuck out of here. Tim Allen needs to not be on my television anymore. (laughs) I mean, that's, you know, it's like like lowest common denominator, bottom of the barrel, scraping it as hard as we can. And I just Mm -hmm. don't... I'm just past it. But other than that, yeah, Abe Vakoda's great. I'm disappointed he's not going to be on the show anymore. Really. And I am disappointed that kind of just... Oh, and now it's now he's gone. But Steve Landsberg, I think, is a welcome addition. And my hope is that you know uh, Levitt becomes one as well, because I know that we're about to have Levitt and Landsberg step in as kind of the big the big additions to the show going into I think season four. Well, big and little additions to the show. <laughs> Get it? Because he's short. I took that easy run. Yeah. Oh, that was the easy one. <laughs> I got my one in. Yeah. Well, Chris, what is going on with you these days, sir? Uh, com. That's where you can go to find out the things I do. Culture Cast, Rankin and Bass, uh, Dreams for Sale, all the good things that Mike and I work on or I work on by myself, you can find at com. What about you, Mike? What's going on at the Internet's favorite movie podcast, The Projection Booth? Just wrapping up Czechtember. So talking about uh, Czech films. I won't say Czech New Wave because they're not always New Wave films, especially Witchhammer was not very New Wave. But uh, yeah, some great Czech films. So we talked about a couple comedies and a couple more serious films, Uh, even dealing with the kind of a comedy but not really there's a lot of good syphilis humor in there no it's not funny at all it's called oil lamps and so yeah good syphilis humor yeah yeah but then you know we're talking about who who wants a nice plate of spinach uh girl on a broomstick and capricious summer which is also not that funny but yeah some good stuff over there so yeah definitely check it out uh projectionboothpodcast.com Every, I just love hearing you say movie titles because, like, some of them I'm convinced are not real movies. <laughs> I would like a plate of spinach does not sound like a title of a movie. What's the other one that's, like, stuck in my head after Darkly My Sweet or some shit? I'm like, this is not a movie. This is some Mike's making up. Like, yeah. 
Is it called? What is it called? I want a plate of spinach. Uh, who wants a nice plate of spinach? Who wants a nice plate of spinach? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Man. And I think you're thinking of After Dark, My Sweet. That is it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, one of my favorite Czech titles is Tomorrow I Will Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea. That you did last year. That's correct. Yep. Around the same time that we did on all my good, or For All My Good Countrymen. Yes. And yeah, and Vladimir uh, Menchik is going to be in two of these films at least this month. So he's in Nice Plate of Spinach, and he is in uh, Not Capricious Summer, but uh, the uh, uh, Girl in a Broomstick. Uh, Menchik was the guy from All My Good Countrymen with kind of that snaggle tooth, the guy who oh. pours all the acid on his feet, and then he like has all those feathers all over him. So, right. Oh, my yeah. God. Right, I completely forgot about all that. My God, there you go, blast from the past. <laughs> well, as always, I want to thank John Walker for our theme song, and more than anything, I want to thank you, listener, for making it through another episode of the Life and Times of Bernie Miller podcast. If you enjoy the show, go on over to iTunes or wherever you get the show, give us a rating and a review. We would greatly appreciate it. 